0: Yeah. It is Thursday, May 2nd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we are, in fact, back in Rochester now. We've had a few days to digest the entire NFL draft. We have reworked our rookie rankings for Dynasty Drafting. You can find 98 offensive players ranked on DraftSharks.com right now. You can find 70 IDPs ranked for some reason. You can find 90, a 90-player 90 cheat sheet combining all of those guys together. Probably more players than you're going to need to know for your rookie draft, but they're all there. We have also updated the overall keeper rankings for all of the offensive positions. I promise I'll get to the IDPs over the next few days Um, Jared and I were going to hit on some of the biggest movers up and down our rookie rankings pre-draft versus post-draft. We'll talk about some rookies who could help your fantasy teams this season, and we're going to start now with, I think, Jared, the story of this draft, and it's Kyler Murray and the Cardinals
1: offense. Yeah, and I I think the Cardinals offense in general, I think, um, is interesting after they added... Three wide receivers in this draft. They go Isabel in the second round, Akeem Butler in the fourth round, Keyshawn Johnson in the sixth round. Then they take Caleb Wilson in the seventh round, Mr. Irrelevant, who Wilson to me is almost more of a wide receiver than a tight end. So, um, you know, Cliff Kingsbury certainly loading up on pass catchers, sort of getting his guys. It's going to be a fun offense. I think they're going to spread it out. You're going to see a lot of, you know, three, four, five wide receiver sets. And and you're going to see – Cliff Kingsbury, try to maximize, I think, what Kyler Murray's good at.
0: Yeah, it's fun that they made the first pick and the last pick of this draft. 11 picks overall. They hit both sides of the ball. We're going to focus on the offense, but they spent quite a bit on defense as well. Um, Real quick before we get away from Caleb Wilson, because you brought him up. uh, He's interesting because the Cliff Kingsbury teams at Texas Tech barely used tight ends. Uh, It wasn't even like they had... um, tight ends that they lined up at wide receiver they didn't have tight end body types uh catching passes outside of the first season that Kingsbury was there when Jay Amaro led the team in receptions then he left for the NFL and it, it was pretty much no tight ends thereafter
1: yeah that is interesting uh I mean again I think you're gonna see Caleb Wilson basically be a big slot receiver If he makes it, I mean, you know, the guy's a seventh-round pick, he's got his warts, but if he makes it, I think he's basically a big side receiver, which is what we want in a fantasy tight end. So I definitely think Wilson is interesting. Someone to, you know, maybe consider in the fifth round of rookie drafts. Yeah. And of course we're talking about, you
0: know, a long-term thing, not a 2019 factor. These Cardinals on the other hand, I think very well could be 2019 factors overall. Kyler Murray, we, you and I have both been working on projections, you know, alongside the NFL draft. And I finally compiled him over the past couple days. I think Kyler Murray is going to be a top 12 fantasy quarterback this year. I won't get too deep into that discussion on this show. I think that's for another time. But beyond the obvious of him being talented, both as a passer and as a runner, uh, I think the factor that I only just this week appropriately weighed in, in projecting the numbers is the Cliff Kingsbury offenses at Texas Tech ran a ton of plays. He was there for six years as the head coach. Twice in that six-year span, Texas Tech ranked first in the entire nation in plays per game. Three other times they finished in the top 10 that included ranking second and fourth in a couple of seasons. So they should be running a lot of plays on offense. And I think the draft helped set them up with players capable of helping them do that.
1: Yeah, they should run a lot of plays, and it should be a pass-leaning offense. I mean, the the personnel now already fits that narrative. Again, you had them select those three wide receivers plus Caleb Wilson to join Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. Um, you know, Ricky Seals-Jones is a pass-catching tight end. David Johnson may be the best pass-catching running back in the NFL. So, so the personnel is already set up for this to be, you know, one of the pass-heaviest offenses in the NFL. Yeah, I,
0: I'm not sure on the percentage that I'm betting on there, but we'll we'll talk about that more when we get to um, actual 2019 projections time for us. Uh, the, the rookie wide receivers, which you named, you know, we both like Andy Isabella. I think we both like Hakeem Butler. Surprised at how late Butler went. I'm not buying either one as a 2019 fantasy factor, higher than like a late – best ball pick, especially in, in maybe FFPC, where you have even more rounds and more um, lineup spots for people. Not lineup spots, but roster spots.
1: Yeah, I haven't got to my Cardinals projections yet, so I haven't thought too hard about how I'm going to divvy up targets between these guys. I, I do think Larry Fitzgerald's going to remain a pretty big part of the passing game. David Johnson's going to see his targets. I sort of, and not to get too far away from the rookie theme, but I, I'm sort of worried about Christian Kirk, just, you know, whether... Cliff Kingsbury thinks he's a fit in his offense because, you know, the fact that he went out and drafted those three wide receivers, you know, that, that might be telling for Christian Kirk. So I, I think, you know, you know, one of Kirk Isabella or Butler, I think is going to be a redraft factor. I'm just not sure which one it's going to be yet.
0: Yeah. That, and that can be a problem too. I agree with you. Well, We'll kind of have to watch this team, I think through the summer to see who's getting the buzz. Um, you know, who exactly is lining up in the offense. I, th- there, I think it's possible that we get, something around 20% target share for both Fitzgerald and Kirk. But like you said, if the way that the draft went indicates that Kingsbury is lukewarm on Christian Kirk, then yeah, maybe we'll see that share spread in other directions. Right. Yep. Uh, And frankly, Keyshawn Johnson, I was not very interested in him heading into the draft. He he lands in a good offense, but he lands in a crowded offense and as a sixth round pick, I'm frankly not that interested in him in any format.
1: Yeah, me either. I mean, he he was productive in college, but not super exciting, um, really in any facet, athleticism size. Um, And and I sort of think, you know, having Isabella, Hakeem Butler, even Christian Kirk um, on the same field, you know, this summer in training camp, I I sort of think Keyshawn Jonathan's going to fade into the background, but we'll we'll see. Uh, Anything else on that crew
0: before we move on? Nope. Andy Isabella left the board eighth among wideouts in the NFL draft near the end of round two. And in, in a round two run at the position, there were five receivers among nine picks in that space, starting with Kansas city's move up from Nicole Hardman at 56 ending with Seattle closing out round two with DK Metcalf. We saw another couple of receivers leave the board among the first three picks in round three. So it was a big run right in there. Me, Hardman, has to be, I think, Jared, everyone's biggest upward mover at wide receiver after the draft. Even folks who liked him, and I know you're not one of them, uh, did not expect him to go quite that high or a team, I think, to show that much uh, vigor for going after him.
1: Yeah, easily the biggest riser, not even close. I-, I hit him 26th among wide receivers in my tr- in my pre-draft rankings. Um, and I didn't he didn't pop off the tape for me that his production last year among 48 wide receivers invited to the combine McCole Hardman ranked 45th in market share of receptions 44th in market share of receiving yards 38th in market share of receiving touchdowns. He ran the four-three-three forty times. So he's fast, but he didn't, he didn't kill the other drills. Um, 64th percentile vert 41st percentile broad. So he's not like this elite elite athlete. He's just fast. All that said, you know, the Chiefs obviously love him. They made him the fifth wide receiver off the board in the second round. The Jets reportedly were trying to trade up to take Hardman right, you know, right right behind where the Chiefs did. So the Jets liked him too. So it just seems in general, the NFL liked this guy a lot more than I did, a lot more than most people did. And, and above anything else, it's obviously the opportunity for Hardman. He's going to be catching passes in this explosive Chiefs offense tied to Patrick Mahomes now for at least the next four years. Um, The Chiefs obviously hope that Hardman can sort of, you know, step in to Tyreek Hill's role, at least to some extent. So you got to like Hardman. He's going to look and produce better than however good he actually is just because he's in this situation.
0: Yeah, I thought heading in that he was an intriguing player. I thought I'll be curious to see where he goes, like who he goes to in round four or late in round three. He was like a high school quarterback quarterback who played DB as well early at Georgia and then finally landed at wide receiver. So I think he's still early in his development. And that's the intriguing part along with the speed. The fact that Kansas City ran up to get him when they did in round two and that that came alongside the Tyree Hill news. You know, Nicole Hardman goes from being somebody that maybe you're intrigued by heading into the NFL draft to you're going to have to pick him around the 1-2 turn in rookie drafts. And uh, he's, he's going to be somewhat of a 2019 fantasy factor unless he you know wildly disappoints the Chiefs this summer. I think he kind of has to be somewhat of a factor. We'll see exactly how many targets we assign to him, but uh, the Chiefs rely pretty heavily on Tyreek Hill. Not only is there the speed, but uh, Nicole Hardman looks like the kind of player who could also pick up the rushing work right. or at least part of the rushing work that went to Hill.
1: Yeah, 22 carries for Hill last year on top of his 137 targets. Um so yeah, a huge chunk of that super productive passing game left behind. So yeah, I think Hardman has every chance to be a 2019 factor. His um his ADP dynastyleaguefootball.com ran has run uh 10 mock drafts so far since the NFL draft ended. Um Hardman's ADP in through those 10 drafts is 16th overall. Now he went As high as, I think, seven in one of them and as low as like 17 or 19, I think it was. But 16th overall is his ADP. Um, He he sits a couple spots higher in our post-draft rookie rankings. I I think if you get him anywhere in the second round, he makes sense. Yeah, and I don't have a
0: problem with him at the end of round one as long as somebody else has already taken Kyler Murray and TJ Hawkinson away from me. So besides Nicole Hardman, who else got the biggest bump up your wide receiver rankings from pre-draft?
1: Uh, Deontay Johnson for me out of Toledo um, who the Steelers surprisingly took in the third round um, Johnson barely on my pre-draft radar I had him ranked below Mecole Hardman Pro Football Focus though loves this guy um, he was one of their biggest sleepers in the draft at any position they had him ranked as their 11th best wide receiver in the class coming in um, big sophomore season in 2017 for Deontay Johnson 74 catches 1,278 yards, 13 touchdowns. His numbers took a step back last year along with the rest of the Toledo offense, but he still accounted for 22% of the team's catches, 26% of the receiving yards, 25% of the receiving touchdowns. So pretty nice market share numbers. The guy is one of the better route runners in this class. If If you watch his game last year against Miami, which is obviously, you know, Higher level competition than he faced most of the year. If you watch a game against Miami, he looks really good. If you, you'll be excited about him if you watch that game. Um, and obviously, a nice landing spot in Pittsburgh where it's pretty wide open behind Juju Smith Schuster.
0: Yeah, I wasn't high on him heading into the draft either. I did have him 23 in my pre draft top 25, so got him in there. Um, you know, liked what PFF had to say about him. Uh, he was okay from what I saw. I wasn't excited about him. Toledo, like you said, took a step back overall in 2018 offensively. Uh, Their QB, Logan Woodside, graduated. He was a seventh-round pick of the Bengals. Now he's with the Titans, started for a couple of weeks in the AAF. So I'm sure that that contributed to Johnson's numbers coming down from 2017 to 2018. He's built like a slot guy, but only 15 of his 49 receptions came in the slot Last year, according to Pro Football Focus. So I don't know exactly what Pittsburgh is going to plan for him. That will be interesting to watch. But the fact that he landed with Pittsburgh is the biggest thing, I guess, arguably the biggest factor that pushes him way up the rankings because Pittsburgh has proven that it deserves benefit of the doubt when it drafts receivers just since Mike Tomlin arrived. We had uh, Mike Wallace in the middle rounds in 2009. They took Emmanuel Sanders and Antonio Brown in the same draft in 2010. Martavis Bryant in round four in 2014. And, you know, Martavis Bryant's been a disappointment to this point, but has been a good receiver when he's been on the field. Uh, And, of course, Juju last year is going to buy them some time (laughs) over the, like, Sammy Coates' Marcus Wheatons. We'll see what James Washington turns into. But Johnson lands in a – good offense at least as long as Ben Roethlisberger is still around and there should be decent opportunity around like you said behind Juju Smith-Schuster it's a little crowded for 2019 so I wouldn't expect a whole lot for him there but I don't think Dante Moncrief is going to be around long term and we'll see what James Washington turns into
1: yep yeah definitely opportunity I'd say starting in 2020 for Johnson I'm, I'm not sure where the comp came from it might have been PFF actually but someone comp Deontay Johnson to Stefan Diggs um, as sort of a Moderate size, a bit wiry, but a really quick, good route runner. And I think, again, if you watch that Miami game, you can sort of see a little bit of Stefan Diggs. So that that's the you know the high-level, optimistic comp for Deontay Johnson.
0: And it's easy to scoff at that right now, but Stefan Diggs was a fifth-round pick, I believe, a few years ago. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, biggest fall? I mean, who, who's the biggest fall on your wide receiver board?
1: And I got two guys. I mean, the, the, the biggest has to be Hakeem Butler, I think. You know, I had him wide receiver three pre-draft. He dropped to wide receiver 10 in our um, post-draft rookie rankings really just because the guy dropped to the fourth round, you know, the 14th Mm -hmm. wide receiver off the board. So the NFL clearly not as high on him as, you know, most of us, at least in the dynasty community were. I think it's the, it's the drop rate. You know, he had a 17% drop rate last season. The fact that he had just one big college season and that it came at Iowa state, you know, not exactly a football powerhouse, but all that said, I mean, he still landed in a nice spot in Arizona where I think, again, it's pretty wide open as to you know, who's going to become that number one wide receiver once Larry Fitzgerald finally retires. Yeah, I mean, there was
0: some argument on Akeem Butler, you know, among our little um, community. Mm-hmm. But even that argument was like some people thought he could be the top receiver and belong in the first round. Some people thought he was more like wide receiver six. You know, <laughs> It wasn't like people were saying he's a fourth round pick. At least, not too many people out loud. I it would. I, I wish that Arizona didn't have so many bodies there. Frankly, I wish that Kansas City had taken Hakeem Butler at some point. I was waiting and hoping that that's where he was going to land because I was ready to draft him even ahead of Nicole Hardman after they had made that that pick. But you know, we'll see. I, I think it's it's easy on one hand to get frustrated because christian kirk is already there because andy isabella joined the team two rounds earlier but it's important to keep in mind that the draft positions don't matter long term they'll matter for a little bit but by you know 2020 or especially the year after that uh it could butler and isabella could uh switch spots in terms of the, the the target hierarchy in Arizona
1: and I think Butler's interesting there because he he brings the size that you know Isabella definitely doesn't bring and, and Kirk and and Keyshawn Johnson don't really bring so you know he, he's sort of the different guy where he, he can sort of serve in his own role so maybe he's not even really competing with guys like Isabella and Kirk. maybe you know if Butler is a hit at, at the NFL level you know he, he's gonna have his role in that offense
0: and certainly, I think landing with Kyler Murray is at least keeps everybody at the level where we hoped that they would be able to achieve in the NFL if not boosting their ultimate upside, you know, regardless of the the crowd for for splitting up targets. Butler, certainly the most significant fall on my board as well. I'm not sure you know who exactly had the biggest fall uh, in terms of number of slots. Greg Dortch, though, is also took a, a fairly heavy fall down my board. Not a surprising one. I I think I had him hopefully ranked at wide receiver 14, knowing that that portion of the board was going to change quite a bit. I was hoping that some team was going to take a shot on him on day three of the draft. Ended up as an undrafted free agent to the Jets. I'm not giving up on him though, because I I think the big thing that Dorch brings is his return ability Two punt return touchdowns last year for wake forest. Only spent two years at wake forest before leaving early. I think that specific thing gives him a decent shot at winning a job, a roster spot with the Jets right away. And you know, when we're when we're trying to sort out a bunch of wide receivers from round six through the undrafted free agent range, Having something like that is important in getting a guy on the team. And then if he can stick around, maybe in a couple of years, Jamison Crowder's gone. Maybe Quincy and has gone. Maybe Robbie Anderson's in jail. But we'll see if Greg Dorch can can build himself up to being one of their starting receivers.
1: Yeah, it's funny the Jets, you know, supposedly wanted Nicole Hartman, then they ended up, you know, settling on Greg Dorch. I, I I they're similar guys, both undersized, both plenty of speed. I liked Dorch better pre-draft Colt or the um, Jets obviously preferred Hardman, but yeah, we'll see if um, Dorch can step into the role that they thought Hardman, you know, could, could fill for them. Emmanuel Hall was the the guy who was highest in my pre-draft ranks. You ended up going undrafted. I was really surprised by that. Um, I think, Part of it was durability. He missed seven games over the past two seasons with hamstring and groin injuries. Um, he, he has some attitude issues. That's according to NFL.com's Lance Erroline. So I think you know the combination there dropped him out of the draft. But I, I thought he was one of the better deep ball receivers in this draft class. Um, he's six foot two with four, three, nine speed, averaged twenty point eight yards per catch over his four seasons at Mizzou. And landed in Chicago where, you know, it's, it's a bit crowded, but it's still what I think is an ascending offense. And I think there's some room for Hall to at least make the roster, you know, this season. And then you kind of see where it goes from there.
0: And yeah, even if he doesn't make the regular season roster there, it's, it's not a um, it's not the end of the world. If you're a practice squad as a rookie, especially if you're an undrafted free agent, favorite dynasty sleeper who you got. Who's your favorite sleeper for rookie draft purposes long term
1: at wide receiver? I got Gary Jennings here, um, who went to the Seahawks, I believe it was in round four, finished just behind David Sills, who ended up going undrafted in catches yards and touchdowns last year. Sills played last year at 22 years old. Uh, Gary Jennings just turned 21. Gary Jennings also was more efficient than Sills last season, 22nd in yards per route run, according to Pro Football Focus. Sills was 52nd. What I like about Jennings, he, he he brings a combination of downfield ability as a slot guy or at least he did at west virginia jennings finished 12th in this wide receiver class in receptions 20 plus yards downfield and he finished 18th in slot receptions so i, I think the seahawks might view jennings as their doug baldwin replacement because that, that's sort of a baldwin was he was you know a, a slot guy who did work downfield? So I think I think the Seahawks see some of that in Jennings, and you know maybe he's an immediate replacement if Baldwin does retire. Listen to you already talking about Doug Baldwin in past tense. <laughs> That's what it sounds like, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to be getting to Jennings for just that reason in in a minute. Uh, in terms of dynasty sleeper, I'm going to reach a little deeper, I, and I, I like a couple more undrafted free agents. Ashton Doolin to the Colts, Jacoby Myers to the Patriots. Doolin's raw. So it, it's going to take some patience with him. And he's a taxi squad, maybe even a guy to, to watch on waivers, but he brings uh, the measurables. He was invited to the combine despite playing D2, uh, but six two over 200 pounds, ran a fast 40 brings kick return ability. That could give him a chance to make the 2019 Colts. He, I don't, like his chances in that area as much as Greg Dortch with the Jets because the Colts had Chester Rogers and Zach Pascal handling returns last year. Um, Rogers, I think, is a pretty good bet to make that roster, so that might not leave room for dueling this year. Myers in in New England, though, I think is very interesting. He led the nation last year in slot receptions, according to Pro Football Focus, third in slot yards, 11th in deep ball catch rate, so not just a short-range guy, but can also get downfield beat Kelvin Harmon, his teammate, by 11 receptions last season. Kelvin Harmon, the more highly touted teammate, lasted until the sixth round of the draft. Uh, And Myers was just six hundredths of a reception per game behind Harmon in 2017, so it's not like he came out of nowhere and took the reception lead in the final season for both wideouts. The Patriots, of course, they're needy at pass catcher, not just wide receiver. Even Julian Edelman, who's the one guy that they can surely count on at this point, He turns 33 later this month, so we'll see how much longer he has. We all know what the picture looks like beyond that. Even with Nikhil Harry, they still need some help there. And the Patriots are also not afraid to use undrafted free agents and early in their careers. Just last season, J.C. Jackson, a cornerback, was an undrafted free agent, wound up finishing fourth among Patriots cornerbacks in snaps overall for the season.
1: Yeah, and both both Myers and Doolinman undrafted, obviously not ideal, but I, I looked into this for Emmanuel Hall. i was sort of surprised to find nine different undrafted free agent wide receivers have turned in 1,000-yard seasons over the past 10 years. 22 different undrafted wideouts have, have topped 800 yards. So you're, we're basically talking one undrafted free agent wide receiver per class is going to top 1,000 yards at some point, and two per class are going to go over 800 yards. So there are, I think, some gems to find – um, in the undrafted free agent wide receiver class here. All right. So it's Jacoby Myers versus Emmanuel
0: Hall in this class. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, that's a good stat. So sneaky play for 2019. I'm gonna I'm gonna give mine first because you already mentioned him. It's Gary Jennings in Seattle. I, I like the long term upside just like you do, and I think that there's a chance we see it right away because of the maybe Doug Baldwin retires stuff. If Doug Baldwin does retire, He leaves behind like 20-plus percent market share annually. He he leaves a big void in the slot for the Seahawks. Tyler Lockett has played about half of his snaps in the slot each of the past two years, but that hasn't made him their primary slot guy. That has been Baldwin, who has been more like a 70% snaps in the slot player. Jennings, as you mentioned, 18th in slot reception, 7th in slot yards, so he can create after the catch, can get downfield. 93rd percentile speed score for the position, 95th percentile spark. So he's fast. He's a good athlete. Ranked third among FBS receivers last year in marginal efficiency. That is a stat from SB Nation's Bill Connolly that adjusts a player's per play efficiency for situations. So an efficient player, a guy that looked good on tape and lands in a spot where they couldn't need him quickly is Gary Jennings.
1: Yeah, I, I think between Gary Jennings and DK Metcalf, it's an interesting spot, assuming Baldwin does um, retire. Because like you said, he leaves behind so many targets. And there's there's such efficient targets with Russell Wilson. So I think uh, DK Metcalf, everyone has their eye on. I think, like you said, Jennings could be a factor as early as this season. Um, I, I think, I mean, they're not, they're not sneaky, but I think Debo Samuel and Paris Campbell um, might be the two best bets for fantasy value this season more farther down the list though i think terry mclaren um in washington not a guy i liked coming in but the nfl obviously higher on him he ended up going in the third round has the 4-3 speed 88th percentile spark guy and i think most importantly he he played college football with dwayne Haskins, who's likely going to be under center for washington this season so there is some you know pre-existing chemistry there between those two guys and th- there's opportunity in washington i think Josh Jackson has been a disappointment. Paul Richardson couldn't stay healthy last year, so there is some opportunity there.
0: Yeah, Washington's one of those frustrating wide receiver cores to project, yeah. especially with Jordan Reed's injury stuff, because you really don't know how to divvy up the targets. But I, I think more important than figuring out how to divvy up those targets right now is to, to say, to me, it's, it's not a core that you say, I'm not drafting any of them at any point. I think it's a spot where at the end of the draft, like round 18, you say, all right, I'll take whichever Washington receiver is lingering here, whether it's um, Trey Quinn, Paul Richardson, somebody is going to probably have at least a couple of useful fantasy games
1: there. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Trey Trey Quinn. I know he's your guy. He's probably my favorite Redskins wide receiver right now, just because I think he is kind of locked into that slot receiver spot. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, over to running back where the draft confirmed that Josh Jacobs is the
0: clear top back. Then we had Isaiah Crowell moving himself out of the way with an Achilles tear this week. So that further boosts Josh Jacobs. It's like at every turn where I, w- I wonder if Josh Jacobs is as good as people say, there's like something happens where I it's like a signal to me that I need to go ahead and, and like him more. Whether it was when we were first doing our pre-draft show, and the list of invitees to the draft came out, and he was the only running back on it. Then he goes in the first round. Then his main competition for carries, I guess, uh, gets injured. Uh, Josh Jacobs, the real question is whether he's an RB1 right away in fantasy.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm still not convinced he's as good as everyone. I mean, I'm I'm not convinced he's a first-round talent, but it really doesn't matter because he's going to get the opportunity, and that's kind of all that matters in fantasy football, at least for a redraft. I mean, Dynasty-wise, if you're not convinced he's that talented and if, if he you know kind of disappoints with his opportunity, you know he, he might lose that opportunity in two or three years. Looking
0: further down the running back rankings, uh, I knew heading into the draft that mine were probably going to change quite a bit, so I wasn't shocked really by most of the moves. There were some surprising picks mixed in, but nothing really shocking. Biggest jump for me on my board, Jared, was Jordan Scarlett, and that's really just because I wasn't really very interested and he didn't make my pre-draft board for what we posted on draft sharks.com. did go 14th in the draft among running backs falls behind Christian McCaffrey in Carolina so that hasn't meant much touches for anybody else in Carolina in the Carolina backfield but if something happens to McCaffrey or if the Panthers decide that they are starting to overwork him and need to to rein in his workload a bit there could be some opportunity. I'm hoping at the very least we finally get rid of Cameron Artis-Payne, who has done nothing. They haven't given him the ball at all. They keep like whispering about him in the offseason, and then he doesn't get the ball every season. Scarlett is a speed score winner, ran a 4 4 at the Combine. Only 15 career receptions, though. I think he needs to show more in that area specifically if he's going to make much of a fantasy impact.
1: Yeah, didn't have huge numbers at Florida. Um, I-, I watched a couple games didn't see anything special, but he did finish fifth in this running back class and pro football focus is elusive rating. So there, there might be something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there could be opportunity if, you know, quickly, if something were to happen to
0: Christian McCaffrey.
1: Yep. Uh, biggest jump for me was justice Hill. Um, I, I just, I, I love the landing spot in Baltimore. It, the Ravens offense is going to be fun too. They drafted so much speed. They took, Marquise Brown in the first round. They took Miles Blinken in the third, I believe it was, who ran a 4 4. They take Justice Hill in the fourth round. He ran a 4 4 at the combine, um, 89th percentile spark score. Obviously, joining a run focused offense and I think some immediate opportunity and definitely a bunch of longer term opportunity. You know, Gus Edwards still there, but he is a former undrafted free agent. Those guys, you know, tend to get pushed out of the way pretty easily by a guy like Justice Hill. Um, Kenneth Dixon in the final year of his contract, Mark Ingram obviously just arrived, but he'll turn 30 this coming December and the Ravens can get out of his contract pretty easily after 2020. So again, I think Hill, you know, I think there's a chance he finishes second in this backfield and touches this season. And then maybe even by 2020, he's, you know, a 1B or even maybe a 1A to Mark Ingram. I don't think Hill's ever going to be Know the guy in the backfield because he is, you know, on the smaller side, and he, he's just sort of built like a change of pace guy. But he, he's someone who could definitely, you know, see 150 to 200 total touches in a season.
0: Yeah. And he didn't fit here for me because I liked him better than you did heading into yep. the draft. Um, right. But I, I think the thing working and for a while, it was a negative for a running back if he was not built like an every down guy. But I think in a lot of cases now, it can be a plus because it gives Justice Hill. I think more ammo to get on the field this year, even if Mark Ingram stays healthy the whole year, because Justice Hill is built both size and speed-wise like a change of pace type of player, somebody who can complement Mark Ingram rather than be his replacement if something happens to Ingram. And then, you know, beyond Ingram in the Ravens' backfield, even if Justice Hill is not a 200-carry guy at any point, he could be the, you know, 150-carry-plus 45 to 50 receptions guy
1: Yep, and i'd say the one thing he needs to work on or at least prove it is his pass blocking he was one of the worst in um, pffs pass blocking efficiency in this running back class so, and if he's gonna be the change of pace pass catcher he, ne- he needs to work on that aspect but that doesn't matter because they have lamar jackson <laughs> true true
0: They have a guy who's either gonna hit his first read or take off <laughs> Right. I wrote down Raikel Armstead. I, I think Jordan Scarlett took a much bigger jump. Uh, I want to mention Raikel Armstead because I liked him a bit heading in. I w- wasn't excited. Um, did have the position leading speed score at the combine. Runs hard on tape. It was a decent tape to watch. Okay production at Temple, 4.9 yards per carry, 29 career receptions. I think the landing spot, though, is the biggest thing for him. In Jacksonville, it's a little crowded right now. Of course, Leonard Fournette is at the front of the backfield. And as long as he's healthy, he's probably going to dominate the the work, but that hasn't he hasn't been healthy the past three seasons, you know, dating back to when he was in college. And then behind him now are Alfred Blue, Benny Cunningham. So maybe Armstead stays behind those guys if Fournette goes down, or maybe Armstead leaps ahead of those guys quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if Armstead's any good, he should pass Alfred Blue pretty quickly. And then Fournette only signed through 2020. Um, you know, it, his relationship with the Jags seems kind of rocky, so I, I'd be kind of surprised if he gets a second contract with that team. So I, I do think I wasn't as high on arm set as you were pre-draft, but the, the landing spot definitely makes me more interested. Who took the biggest fall on your running back board? Alex Barnes for me, who went undrafted. I, I had him 11th among running backs um, pre-draft. He's down to 19th now. Kind of similar to Emmanuel Hall, though, you know, despite going undrafted, I do think it's a decent landing spot where, you know, it's kind of only Derrick Henry ahead of him as like a primary ball carrier. Deion Lewis still there, obviously. But, um, you know, going undrafted sort of makes Burns a long shot. So he's got to he's got to come down in the rankings. Yeah, I agree. Rodney Anderson's the biggest one for me. I had him
0: by far the highest heading into the draft, third among running backs. And I really I knew that he his draft slot in, in the NFL was not likely to support that. Uh, I was really, I was hoping for a an upside landing spot on day three of the draft. Did go in the sixth round, which was not a surprise, but he went to the same team that drafted Travion Williams earlier in that round. And the Bengals already have Joe Mixon as their starter. So he's not, you know, nearing the end of his contract and he looks like a stud. So I'm not expecting anybody to really step up and take over that backfield. I know Gio Bernard has just this season left on his contract but you know again taking both Travion Williams and Rodney Anderson in the same round kind of mutes the upside for either of those guys heading into that role so I went from hopeful on Rodney Anderson to really I don't care whether I get him in rookie drafts
1: yeah again you know like you've you mentioned earlier um you know these guys that go in the sixth seventh round and go undrafted a lot a lot of times they end up you know not making the team that drafted them so maybe anderson even as early as this season ends up elsewhere
0: favorite sleeper who do you got for a, a long-term sleeper at running back
1: divine ozigbo who i know you you liked pre-draft um so th- this guy did not get invited to the combine and then he goes undrafted so you know that that doesn't bode well the nfl obviously not as high on him as you are even as i was because i i was intrigued i think the the tape was, was pretty good on him last year. But I like the landing spot. He lands in New Orleans. Um, obviously, Kamara there. Latavius Murray signed to be the number two running back, at least for this season. Um, but Murray's 29 years old. Um, he did get a four-year deal from New Orleans. But it's essentially a two-year deal. They can get out of it pretty easily after the 2020 season. So I think Ozigbo, if he shows well, has a chance. It's, it's funny, my comparison for him pre-draft was Latavius Murray. I think they're kind of similar as bigger backs with good long speed. So I think, you know, Ozigbo could be the new Latavius Murray um, in, in 2021. It's
0: entirely possible that Divine Ozigbo is this year's Boston Scott, who was, they're not the same style of running back as Boston Scott is tiny, but he was the one that had some fringe fans Heading into the draft and then just post-draft last year. And he signed as an undrafted free agent with the Saints. And I think all of us, whenever somebody goes to the Saints, we're like, oh, he could play with Drew Brees within the next couple of years. And that could be a really good spot for him. If that happens for Ozigbo, it's a great spot. And we have to keep in mind, however, that, like you said, he did not get invited to the Combine. He did not get drafted by any team, so the NFL is telling us to temper any expectations. He is the guy that I put down, though. I I would have loved to see Ozigbo go in Kadri Allison's spot to Atlanta in round five. I would be excited about him if he went there. Uh, Did not get a lot of work in college. Topped out at 155 carries, 23 receptions last year, but was efficient on those. Seven yards per carry, 8.8 per catch. Was a speed score winner with a mid-4.5s. 40 time at his pro day at 222 pounds. I wonder if we can see a battle between him and Dwayne Washington this summer for a roster spot.
1: Yeah, that, I would I would bet on that happening. Um, Ozigbo, eighth in this running back class in elusive rating, 14th in breakaway percentage. So again, you know, he has that big playability for a bigger back. The guy's six foot, 235 pounds. He will not be going
0: undrafted in rookie drafts where I am <laughs> taking part. Right. I can guarantee that. <laughs> Uh, what about for 2019? Who do you think might be a sneaky running back play among these rookies?
1: How about Darwin Thompson? I think we talked about him pre draft um, out of Utah State. Ends up going in the sixth round. But he goes to Kansas City. You know, uh, super exciting landing spot. Thompson, uh, over 1,000 rushing yards and 14 rushing touchdowns on 6.8 yards per carry last year. And he caught 23 passes for 351 yards. That's 15.3 yards per catch. Led the entire running back class in PFF's elusive rating. Um, he's 5'8", 198 pounds. So, you know, he he's not a workhorse back, but he is. He he has some treat Cohen in his game. That That's probably my best comparison for him. Um, Thompson was a 70th percentile spark guy. I would not be surprised if he carves out some type of pass catching role this season, especially, you know, if Tyreek Hill is gone, freeing up all those targets.
0: Yeah, so Twitter being what Twitter is, there are people saying, oh, Darwin Thompson in the sixth round put Damian Williams on notice, and then, of course, the other side of that is, are you kidding a sixth-round running back? Damian Williams is a huge winner from this draft, and frankly, I think that there is some truth to both of those. I don't think that taking a running back in, in the sixth round puts anybody on notice. That doesn't say that we just drafted your replacement. Uh, Like you, though, I like Darwin Thompson. I think there is a chance for him to contribute right away. And if either Damian Williams or Carlos Hyde gets hurt, there's a chance for Darwin Thompson to impress and and make his touches count. Of course, like with New Orleans, we're going to like anybody who gets opportunities in the Kansas City offense, and we'll see how it is. At the same time, the fact that Kansas City waited until round six to take a running back also says that they feel pretty solid with what they have in the backfield. And it made me feel more comfortable with Damian Williams this season than I did beforehand.
1: Yeah, again, I don't think Thompson is a threat to that lead running back role. I just think he, he's too small. I think I think his targets might, again, come more out of what Tyreek Hill saw last year than you know what, what the running backs saw.
0: Yeah, and of course, the whole Tyreek Hill thing just – it throws everything wide open in Kansas City. I mean, they were not – a pass-heavy offense last year. They ran fewer than 1,000 total plays. They threw less than 60% of the time. So the big Patrick Mahomes numbers makes it seem like they were this explosive pass offense. I, they could be one of the more run-heavy offenses when we, get th- when we sort through it all. It'll be interesting to watch, and there will be – whoever plays for Kansas City this year is going to be of fantasy interest. We'll see exactly what the yep, production sure. is. For a sneaky 2019 running back for me, I want to see what Dexter Williams does this summer. I want to see if Dexter Williams is competing against Jamal Williams for the depth chart spot. I mean, Jamal Williams has been the good uh, pass protection running back, but he he disappointed last year once he got opportunities after being a solid player um, as a rookie fill in the year before. We've had knee injuries for Aaron Jones each of the past two years, so I think Aaron Jones is the lead back in Green Bay, but there's also a decent chance that he misses some time at some point. Jamal Williams is also drafted now by the previous coaching regime, so we'll see if that means anything for how they view these two running backs. Dexter Williams, another guy that I was looking at as kind of this ascending talent heading into the draft, only 257 career carries, 22 receptions at Notre Dame. Uh, most of that coming in his final season, 158 carries, 16 catches last year. He might turn into nothing. He was a late-round NFL draft pick, might not go anywhere. I liked what I saw. I think that there's more available to him. I think there's upside to him as a talent going forward. And Like I said, I'll be curious to see if Dexter Williams is battling Jamal Williams for playing time heading into the season.
1: Yeah, I think that Mike McCarthy was – was a big fan of Jamal Williams. I mean, he, you know, he was playing Williams over Aaron Jones for, for way too long. Cause I think Williams is sort of that, that safe running back. He's not gonna do anything really well, but he's not going to cost you games. But I think, you know, you, you get on the practice field. I think there's a good chance that Dexter Williams just looks and sort of out, outplays Jamal Williams uh, this summer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Dexter Williams is capable of doing all the things and we'll just see how well he does them, how long it takes him to get comfy at the NFL level. Yep. So tight end, I think, unlike the other two positions, not a whole lot of big changes in our versus in our post-draft versus our pre-draft. I think maybe there was a little bit more separation between the Iowa guys and the others on the tight end board. But otherwise, it doesn't seem to me like um, big moves since our pre-draft thoughts.
1: Yeah, it sort of went as expected for me. I and mean, I think Irv Smith going middle of the second round, that's sort of what I expected. I think the landing spot's solid for him. Um behind Kyle Rudolph for now. But Kyle Rudolph, there's already been trade rumors um, you know, that he, he might not be on the team when week one rolls around. And he's a free agent next offseason. So I think by by 2020 at the latest, Irv Smith is the lead tight end there. And then Jay Sternberger, I think, also landed in a nice spot. Um, tied to Aaron Rodgers. Jimmy Graham there, obviously, but he turns 33 in November. So I think Sternberger, sort of like Smith, um, by, by 2020 should be the guy in Green Bay. Yeah, both good landing spots for Dynasty, I think. Not great
0: bets for 2019 projection production, but solid spots for maybe being relevant as soon as 2020 yep. Hawkinson versus Fant. We talked about those guys for 2019 purposes, uh, on our, our podcast that followed the first round of the draft. I have since projected all the guys and, and compiled everybody and Hawkinson came out well ahead of wow. Fant for me. I mean, neither one is high in my, uh, tight end, um, rankings but i think Hawkinson is a better bet between them to lead his team's tight ends in targets uh Jeff Hyerman really played a bigger role for the Broncos all season last year until he got hurt uh in the second half of the year but before that played a, a much bigger role than i realized that he did the whole time so I, to me Jeff Hyerman is a solid bet to still lead the Broncos in targets and fans going to require some big efficiency on both yardage and touchdowns. Whereas I think Hawkinson is a better bet to lead Lions tight ends and carve out a a significant
1: role in the Detroit pass offense. I think they're both pretty good bets to lead their tight end groups and targets. I actually just updated my Broncos projections this morning, came out with, I think 39 catches for Noah Fant, um, haven't updated my Lions. That'll probably be this afternoon. Um, but I, I, my, my guess is that Fant's gonna come out higher in my numbers. Um, I, I think, I think you know, beyond the tight end rooms, and again, I think Fant and Hawkinson both lead their tight end groups and targets. I think Fant has a bit less proven target competition at wide receiver, and, and that's assuming Emmanuel Sanders isn't ready for Week One. I sort of don't expect him to be, so um, I, I think I'll have Fant for a bit more targets. I also. Have the Broncos projected for about 35 more pass attempts than the Lions, um, so there's a bigger, you know, total pie for Fant to get a piece of. Yeah, and I I would have to
0: look back at the stats to see how much they're separated by, you know, touchdowns and whatever. I can see Fant coming out ahead of Hawkinson. Uh, the gap was was bigger than I expected between them, though. And for, I mean, frankly, I'm not going to be chasing either one. Um, just an interesting pair to look
1: at. Yeah, my, my numbers for Fant would have made him the uh, tight end 17 in PPR last year. So again, I think you're looking at both guys probably going to be in like mid-range tight end 2 territory in our rankings.
0: And I certainly agree with the pessimism on Emmanuel Sanders and the potential opportunity if he is not ready for the start of the season. Anyone else interesting among the rookie tight ends, you think, for 2019?
1: No, I I mean, there's guys with opportunity. I mean, I think Josh Oliver and Jacksonville, that's a pretty barren depth chart. Um, Foster Moreau in Oakland, even Dawson Knox potentially in Buffalo. Those guys have opportunities, but, you know, those types we're talking about, you know, sort of middle of the road prospects that went in rounds three, four and five. Those guys rarely pan out as rookies.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking at like a third tight end for a best ball lineup, then those guys make plenty of sense. Uh, but I, I agree with you, not huge things. I think otherwise it's really going to take an injury for some other rookie to emerge. Uh, Jay Sternberger in Green Bay comes to mind. If Jimmy Graham were to go down, you know, I like the opportunity for him there. But this is not going to be a mine that I'm uh, hunting yep. for gems. Uh, in terms of long-term sleeper, I, I got to go to Kahale Waring, who Kahale Waring, sorry. we both liked pre-draft. Landed with the Texans. I like the athletic upside heading in. I have been trying to sort out Texans tight ends this off season. Um, the third round is where they picked him. It's the same round where they took Jordan Aikens last year. Then they took Jordan Thomas in round six. Thomas ended up playing a little bit more than Akins when they were both rookies last year. Akins is already 27. So for me, I'm pushing those guys down. Ryan Griffin, I think will be gone after this season and i as long as you can be patient with Waring and stash him on your roster, yeah. I think he's one of the most intriguing guys in this year's class.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think you're going to have to wait on Warren because, first of all, the guy doesn't have much football experience. I think it was, what, his senior year of high school was his first time playing organized football. And then you have Dandre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Kiki QT there kind of hogging the target. So I, I think it's going to take a few years with Warring, but he definitely has the size and athleticism to you know be a fantasy factor at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other long-term sleepers for you?
1: Yeah, I had Ali Z. Mack, um, who landed in New Orleans. If, if you land in New Orleans, I'm going to like you as a dynasty sleeper, I guess. Um, he, he's gonna he's gonna be behind Jared Cook at least for this season. But Cook, um, 32 years old, you know, I, I don't think he's their long term answer. So Mack has some opportunity there. He did test pretty well, 61st percentile, spark score um, coming out of Notre Dame, which you know has has produced some NFL tight ends, Tyler Eifert. Kyle Rudolph, um, John Carlson going to back a bit farther, had some decent seasons. So um, th- there's some history of Notre Dame tight ends faring well in the NFL.
0: Yeah. I, I, like I said before, anybody who lands in New Orleans, you're like, okay, I'm going to watch and see what you do. <laughs> yep. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our rookie rankings for your Dynasty League. We got you covered whether you play with IDPs or not. We have the full slate of free Dynasty prospect profiles still available so you can get to know some of these guys Better as you make your own draft decisions. And in just a few weeks, we're going to be going live with our 2019 rankings, projections, and the MVP board. Become a DS Insider today so that you can get ahead of the rest of your league on draft prep. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at Schauf DS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaff. saying thanks so much for swimming with us.